What's really good? Welcome back to another episode of The Sanchez Show. This is episode 19, and this is September 15th, 2020. Again, The Sanchez Show, I'm your host, Eric Sanchez, a.k.a. Legend in Two Games. Make sure you're following me across all social media platforms. That's L-E-G-E-N-D-I-N-T-W-O-G-A-M-E-S. Shoot me a like, shoot me a comment, or if you've got a topic that you want to hear debated or talked about here on the show, shoot me that email as well, legendin2games at gmail.com. Um, as always, I open up the platform for anyone because I enjoy a uh, good sports debate. But with that being said, again, Tuesday, September 15th, 2020, we've got a game seven on our hands tonight in the NBA, and we've also got some week one NFL reactions to get into. So we're going to start with the NBA. But before we do, as I've mentioned plenty of times on every platform I'm on, we demand justice for the murder of Breonna Taylor, and we would love to see the killers um, who are responsible for her death be brought to justice. With that being said, let's lighten up the mood, though, get into some sports talk. Tonight, Game 7, Clippers, Nuggets, and I've got to say, i got to be the first to admit, i got to humble myself a little bit. I was completely wrong about this series. I originally predicted Clippers in five games. You can look back. It's on my social media feed. I don't hide from these things. I admit when I'm wrong, and in this case, I was wrong. I thought the Clippers possessed a much better uh, defensive team than what the Nuggets saw from the Utah Jazz. I also thought the veteran leadership of not only Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and Patrick Beverly and Lou Williams and Marquise Morris, along with a veteran and proven winner head coach in Doc Rivers, was going to be too much for a very young Denver team who's they're starting to get their feet under them. They're an up-and-coming team. They they could be one of the uh, future um, contenders of this league. But I didn't think they were going to have enough to hang with the Clippers for more than five, maybe six games. And again, it's on my social media feed. You can look back and check it out. I thought, you know, five, six games was, was really the max here, and the Nuggets have proven me wrong. And for the most part, for the first half of the series, I should say, I looked to be correct. Clippers jumped out to a 3-1 lead. Clippers were up 16 points in game five, and then the wheels fell off. Then they were up 19 points in game six, and then the wheels fell off again. Now going into game seven, I am far less confident in the prediction of the Clippers advancing than I was at the start of the series. As you know, game sevens, anything can happen, but I want to throw a couple numbers at you guys to let you know why I'm so concerned about this game seven. The Clippers, whose head coach, Doc Rivers, has been a head coach on two previous teams who have blown 3-1 leads in the playoffs. He was the Orlando Magic head coach in 2003 when they blew a 3-1 lead to the Detroit Pistons. He was the LA Clippers coach in 2015 when they threw a, a blew a 3-1 lead to the Houston Rockets. I'm not confident in the Clippers right now. They look really bad. Also, I'm a little worried about even if they jump out on the lead on, on the Nuggets in this game tonight. I mean, the Nuggets have shown that they have no problems fighting back and get back in the game. So if the Clippers jump up 8, 10, 12 points, at what point would you be confident in the Clippers? You know, would they have to be up 25 points before you let your guard down? Because if it's a 10-point game heading into the fourth quarter, I'm still going to feel like the Nuggets have a chance. Let's also not forget this is the Nuggets' fourth Game 7 in the last two years. They had two Game 7s last year. They've already had one this year. They're facing their second one this year. This is a battle-tested team. Now, granted, history isn't in their favor because last year, again, in the second round, they lost to game seven. This year, they're facing a better team, I think, anyway, on paper. 
They're facing a team that's a little more proven, as I mentioned. So history may not be on their side. It's tough to come back from 3-1 leads and back-to-back series. They, they did it against Utah. They're trying to do it against the Clippers. It's, it's unheard of to do it back-to-back series in the playoffs, but that's what they're trying to accomplish tonight. There are a lot of things on the line, though, aside from just the series. As I mentioned, the Denver Nuggets look to be um, one of the, the bright young stars or young, young teams, I should say, on the rise in the NBA. But if you're the Clippers, the moves you made this past offseason were for you to be all in on winning a championship, not only this year, but possibly next year. You don't trade all the assets you did for Paul George and you don't sign Kawhi Leonard um, just to make it to the second round of the playoffs. You know, that, that's not enough for them. They are here to win a championship. This team has been constructed to win a championship. Now, if they move on to the Western Conference Finals and lose to the Lakers, all right, you can live with that. Because I think the consensus is that the Lakers or the Bucks, I mean, uh, Lakers or the Clippers, sorry, are the best two teams in the NBA. But if you lose now, I mean, we have to take a long, hard look at the construction of this team and, and figure out what the next steps are because Montrez Harrell is a free agent and I don't think he comes back. I think he's going to command the type of money that just outside of their budget. Uh, Marquise Morris is a free agent as well, and they've got to make a tough choice on whether to bring him back or not. Remember, they did trade a draft asset to obtain him. So they've got some, some tough questions to answer if they lose tonight in game seven. I'm, I'm sticking with my pick, but I'm not as confident in it as I was a week and a half ago. Um, also tonight, we've got game one between Boston and Miami kicking off. This is the series I expected to, to be played in the Eastern Conference Finals. Again, look back at my previous predictions. I thought uh, Miami would take out Milwaukee. I, I said in six games, it happened in five. I did predict Boston in seven games over Toronto. This is the series I, I was expecting because ultimately, even though they were not seeded number one and number two in the East, I do feel these were the best two teams in the East heading into the playoffs. Again, no disrespect to Milwaukee, but heading into the playoffs, there were a lot of things I didn't like um, from the Bucs, and there were some things that were concerning to me, and they showed out in that series in Miami. So with Miami and Boston, I expect it to be another great series. I'm going to say the Boston Celtics win this series in six games. I think it's going to be ultra competitive. I would not be surprised if it goes seven games. I wouldn't be too surprised if Miami wins. But there's just certain things about uh, Boston that I like a little better. When you just really line up the matchups and figure out who will be defending who and what game plans could be implemented to change the series, I just like the weapons that Brad Stevens has at his disposal as opposed to what Spolstra has at his disposal. We know what Jimmy Butler gives you. There's no question in that. But after him, you've got a lot of guys who aren't really battle-tested in the playoffs, and this is their first go-round in the playoffs. Um, So it becomes a a different mindset in a different series. And I know some people say, well, they beat Milwaukee. They did. But they also handled Milwaukee in the regular season, and that's why I thought that series just favored Miami so much. I, I felt it was a great matchup for them. Styles make fights, and their style was perfect for what Milwaukee loves to do. But this situation is tougher because now they've got to figure out, uh, or I should say, they don't have to just figure out how to guard Giannis. Now they've got to figure out not only how to guard Giannis, I mean, uh, Tatum, sorry, I keep talking about Milwaukee, but they got to figure out how to guard Tatum 
And also, how are they going to guard Kemba? Who's going to guard Jalen Brown? Marcus Smart's been playing really well. Oh, by the way, Gordon Hayward will probably be back by game three or game four of this series. How are we going to guard him? Boston's collection of wing players and, and how they uh, set up their lineups throughout these games is going to be the biggest question mark. Because for me, I know what to expect from Jimmy Butler. But I don't know if Duncan Robinson can consistently knock down threes when it matters most. I don't know if Tyler Hero can carry over that play that he had earlier in these playoffs. Gorgon Dragic is going to have a tough matchup against Kemba Walker. I think Kemba's going to attack him a lot and force him to play defense. Those are things he didn't have to worry about in his previous two series. So I think there are areas that Boston can pick at that Miami just won't be able to slow down or stop. I expect uh, Jalen Brown to have a big series here as well because I'm interested to see who they decide to put on Jalen Brown. If they put Jimmy Butler on him, I think Jimmy's good enough to play and stay in front of him. Don't get me wrong. But it also wears down Jimmy Butler on the other end. If they decide to put Crowder on him, I don't know if Crowder's athletic enough to, to defend him. He's physical enough, but I don't know if he's athletic enough. Same thing with Tatum. So it's going to be a very interesting series. I'm, I'm interested to see the adjustments that are going to be made by Coach Bolstra and Coach Stevens. But I like the Boston Celtics in six games. Again, this is the Sanchez Show, sports podcast influenced by hip-hop. Make sure you follow me across all social media platforms. It's Legend in Two Games, completely spelled out, L-E-G-E-N-D-I-N-T-W-O-G-A-M-E-S. With that being said, let's transition over to some NFL talk. Week one is officially in the books after last night's two Monday night games. Um, now it's time to draw our conclusions and overreactions. I didn't want to do it until we saw all the games and have a good understanding of what everybody brought to the table. Some things jumped out right away. Um, the Kansas City Chiefs look like they're set to repeat as champions. I, I've said, uh, if you look back at the previous episode, that shout out to my man Trip Young. He was on the last episode when we, we gave our predictions heading into the season. I thought, barring injury, they were going to be very tough to stop. I think we see that now. It's, it's with, with them being able to find a running game, a consistent running game now, um, even though Damian Williams is not with them, but Clyde Edwards-Hilaire looked amazing week one. And if they're going to get that type of production from them, I think they're going to be very tough to beat moving forward. I also think that um, their defense is a little better than it was last year. They've still got some room for improvement, but I just like what I saw from them on uh, on, on that Thursday night game in regards to getting pressure at the quarterback. Um, granted, the Texans may not be the best um uh, example to use because without DeAndre Hopkins, their offense isn't the same. However, I still give the Chiefs a lot of credit for the way they played that game. And they look to me as as, as a legitimate Super Bowl contender and, and potential back-to-back champions. Uh, the Saints look good. The Green Bay Packers look good. The Seahawks look good. Um, a lot of Super Bowl contenders came out the gate strong, which was a little surprising to me. Without a preseason, I was questioning how some of these teams would come out. And the teams I mentioned, we probably shouldn't be too surprised about them, again, because these are offensive systems and game plans that have already been in place. They didn't need much of a, a training camp or preseason to get back to what they already have done in the past. But when you haven't played, um, when you haven't faced any real competition or had to tackle anybody for quite some time to come out as strong as they did, I was surprised. The Saints especially, because the Saints were down 7 nothing right away, and then they got rolling and got hot in that game 
they really took advantage of Tom Brady. I think the Bucs were one of the more alarming teams that we saw week one. Um, Tampa Bay, Minnesota, Cleveland, uh, the Eagles, the Cowboys to a certain extent were very surprising how uh, just, just poor they played. Um, I think our expectations are high for all those teams. Um, I was big on Minnesota's draft, and I thought they were going to come out a little stronger this year, and they very sluggish in their game against Green Bay. Uh, same thing with Cleveland. They have so much talent on both sides of the ball. I know the Baltimore Ravens had the best record in the AFC last year. They've got the reigning MVP. They've got a lot of weapons as well. But for a rivalry game to be a laugher, the way that one turned out to be, that was a little surprising. Not shocked that the Ravens won, but just in the fashion that they did. I mean, they they did whatever they wanted. The Browns could not get a stop. The Browns could not convert a third down. It got very ugly there very quickly. By halftime, that game was already over. So a little surprise there. Um, Aaron Rodgers looked like he looked, he had a bone to pick with a lot of people. You know, he feels a lot of people writing him off. He had a slow start last year. He looked very good. Cowboys, iffy situation. I thought they were a little sluggish. But, again, there was a big pass interference towards the end of that game that could have changed things um, and possibly changed the outcome. They played okay. I, I expected them to come out a little stronger. The 49ers, I'm going to excuse, though. I know a lot of people probably look at it and say Super Bowl hangover. But we've got to remember – no Debo Samuels for that game. Debo's probably their best wide receiver. Um, George Kittle gets hurt early. So the dynamics of that offense change a little bit. And uh, the defense wasn't as strong as I would like them to be. But again, when your offense is struggling to move the ball, it's understandable. You're going to have some days like that where the defense may get worn down. And that's what it just looked like to me. But the most alarming one is probably the team that I, I've predicted not to go back to the playoffs. And it was just in a fashion and the way they lost. The Philadelphia Eagles up 17-0 against a Washington Redskins team who most people feel are going to be punting on the season. They don't have much talent. They're a team predicted to finish last in the NFC East. And to be down 17-0 pretty much right before halftime. They scored, a, they scored a touchdown to make it 17-7 right before the half. But the Eagles never scored again um, after being up 17-0 the e and the Redskins looked like the better team for about two and a half quarters, which was the most surprising thing to me. The Eagles, for all this talk that we've been hearing about their health and Carson Wentz is a top five quarterback and they've got the talent to go back to the Super Bowl, I didn't see it from them. They were one of the most alarming teams on Sunday. 17-0 lead against a team that's pretty much supposed to be punting on the season. And you laid a, a complete egg there. The Eagles surprised me with their effort. Um, Tampa Bay, I don't think laid an egg, but we saw some some alarming things with Tampa Bay that I've alert, that I've alluded to before, and as it's why I'm not too high on this Tampa Bay team. Do I expect them to go to the playoffs? Absolutely. Tom Brady, all the assortment of weapons, still a solid defense. They'll get there. I, I expect them to win about ten games, but I've I've said all along that. Despite all of the weapons they have, I'm not high on this team because the O-line isn't that good, and it showed up. Tom Brady is not a mobile quarterback, and if you get pressure in his face or around his feet, he's going to make some bad throws, and it showed through two interceptions. Uh, the defense was very undisciplined, some bad penalties in that game by them. Also, um, a very bad fumble on a kickoff that led to more points for New Orleans. And as these things were happening, even though I didn't always talk about all of these things, I talked about the O-line. 
Um, I talked about the fact that, again, Brady is much older. He, he can't make all the throws that he used to make, you know. Um, but the, the thing that stuck out to me the most was just how unprepared they were for certain situations. Bruce Arians was their head coach last year. They faced this New Orleans team last year, uh, twice, obviously, because they're division rivals. But they just seemed unprepared for some of the things that New Orleans threw at them. And you would think, you know, seeing New Orleans in the past, you would have a better idea of how to defend some of these things. But they didn't seem to have an answer for it. They also didn't seem to have an answer for New Orleans pass rush. And I'm interested to see how Tampa Bay can bounce back this second week. Um, I'm also interested in seeing Patriots Seahawks in week two. I like what I saw from Cam. He didn't throw the ball particularly well, but he ran the ball. He was mobile as we thought he would be. And the Patriots defense was very good. And now they get a really good test in week two, having to go to Seattle against a Pete Carroll team that will not beat itself. Uh, Russell Wilson was an MVP candidate last year. They're always very well prepared. And Russell Wilson looked good in opening week uh, this year in Atlanta. So I'm interested to see Patriots in Seattle and Rams at Philadelphia. Because if you're the Eagles, you're facing a pretty good Rams team. Granted, they didn't make the playoffs last year, but they were 9-7. and seven. They, were, they were a team that was in the mix up until the last week of the season. And if you're Philly, I don't think you can afford to, to fall 0-2. Um, again, I'll reiterate what, I, what I've said on a previous podcast. I think the NFC is much tougher and the teams are much more lumped together than we see in the AFC because in every division in the NFC, there are two potential playoff contenders. So if you're the Eagles and you fall behind 0-2 on the season, you've got a lot of ground to make up because – there's possibility that after this week, we may see the Seahawks 2-0. We may see the, um, the Cardinals 2-0. We may see the Rams 2-0. We may see the Packers 2-0, right? We may see the Bears 2-0. So there are a lot of playoff teams in the mix, Saints, who, again, could be 2-0. There could be a lot of teams already 2-0. And if you're the Eagles having to play catch-up, I've said before, I don't think the Eagles are better than the Cowboys, so I don't think they're playing for the division. I think the Eagles are realistically trying to play for a wild card. I know it's week two. This might sound like an overreaction. I'm just telling you what I feel, though. I don't think the Eagles are going to win this division. They're going to have to get into the playoffs as a wild card. And in order to do that, you can't start off 0-2 when all these other teams that are also going to be in that mix for that wild card are already going to be 2-0. Again, just my thoughts, though, man. Again, this is the Sanchez Show. Make sure you're following us across all social media platforms. Um, follow me on social media as well. Legend in two games, L-E-G-E-N-D-I-N-T-W-O-G-A-M-E-S. Shoot me a like, shoot me a comment. Uh, stay tuned, man. We got a lot more content coming out, but we want to keep it short and sweet. Game seven tonight, Clippers, Nuggets. I'm hoping the Clippers make me look right. With that being said, I'm out.